Happy Sabbath, everyone. I'm going to read our opening text, and we'll go into the message. We'll start in the book of Acts, the 16th chapter. Acts chapter 16. Starting at verse 16. Acts 16, verse 16. The scripture says, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. Our sermon, our sermon this morning is entitled The High Price of Holiness. The High Price of Holiness. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us together in this place. We thank you, Lord, for your word and your truth. We ask now, Lord, that I would just be made a nail upon the wall, a rusty old sorry old nail, Lord, hammered in by the Holy Spirit. That upon that nail, Lord, I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ so that Eric Walsh is not seen or heard this morning. But that, Lord, we hear a message from the throne room of God. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Many times it's happened to me that while I've been preaching, there have been people who have been seemingly exuberant um, in the audience. Now, I come from churches where people respond. Call and response is a part of the black liturgy of church services. So in and of itself, that isn't abnormal that we preach and someone shouts amen or, 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 or preach on, brother, or whatever they might say. But there have been times when the response has been so overwhelming by one particular individual that it's distracting. And I can remember this year, in, I was in Birmingham, Alabama, preaching at the, one of the oldest uh, and largest black Adventist churches in the South, the main church there in Birmingham, the mother church. And there was a woman to my left who just kept shouting stuff. I mean, beyond amen, beyond hallelujah, she was saying stuff like, you're my pastor, you, you're my man, keep preaching. And I said, you know, this... It's getting a little uncomfortable. You know, I'm trying to focus and preach here, and this woman is, like, throwing all kinds of stuff up at me here. And she went on and on and on. And finally, I stopped my sermon, and I said, my sister, please, allow the Lord to speak. Because basically, we were both preaching the sermon. Hers just was garbled, disjointed statements. And so she stopped for the most part. She threw one or two more out. Just kind of snuck them in. Um, after church, I got a letter that afternoon after I did my seminar in the evening from a church member who complained that I had dealt too harshly with the woman. 
that this is a woman who had joined the church in the last couple of years, and I had no place to tell this woman how she should respond to the Holy Spirit. I said, okay. And as I was flying back to California, I took out my laptop and typed a very long letter back to the church and to this individual who decided to remain anonymous, except to tell me that it was someone who had gone to Oakwood, not with me, but they had gone to Oakwood as well. So I wrote back a long letter, and the text I used to defend my stance was this one. The text I used to say that just because people are saying Christian things does not mean that it is the Spirit of God moving on them. Just because the words might be accurate, and her words, in my opinion, weren't even good words to be being said, because she was focusing on me, not on the Word, not on God, not on anything. So I, 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 I start our message this morning that way, because I never heard back from anybody, because I think when they went and read the text, they saw exactly what I meant. The devil is a master disturber. He knows when God has gained momentum, and I'm a big sports fan, so I know about momentum. You know, a basketball or football game can change drastically with one fumble or one turnover. The whole game can change, the mood can swing, the momentum goes the opposite way, and one team that was clobbering the other team can then become the one being clobbered. It's the same thing in the spiritual realm. The devil is always looking in our lives at, for opportunities to change our spiritual momentum. And one of the ways he has learned to do that is that he has he's learned that if he comes at you as if he is the enemy, you, your guard goes up and you often become more spiritual. So what the devil has learned to do is to garb his, dis, uh, his, his disturbances, to clothe his disturbances in the garb of Christian rhetoric and wording so that when he comes at you, your guard is down and you take his uh, momentum-changing disturbances as if they come from God so that he can distract you and mislead you. And so uh, as, 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 as I was preaching there, and this woman did this, and I, again, I don't really mind people saying amen. I actually prefer to know that the audience is alive and awake, but this was getting to the point of being ridiculous, and I knew that it was not the Spirit of God. It's happened to me many times, actually. I, I could tell you stories from places even around the world. I remember being in Jamaica, um, and a lady coming out of the darkness of the, of the wooded area there in Frankfield, Jamaica, and walking out in front of, um, walking out. We were full service. I'm preaching, doing slides and everything, crusade, evangelism. And, and this woman walks out right in front of the pulpit, right in the middle of the service. And I have to admit, if you know anything about Jamaica, you know that they don't do voodoo. They do something called obia. And so this was an obia woman. And, you know, it happened that my sermon that night was entitled, Duppies dummies and demons and a duppy is the jamaican pot word for ghosts so i was talking about spiritualism and i was railing on obia and voodoo saying they have no power god is all powerful now in jamaica they don't have at least where we were in jamaica they didn't have sound ordinances so they had loudspeakers on top of the tent people would come out of their houses in their pajamas when i made altar calls because they could hear the sermon so far away um so, I mean, it worked well. I'm not sure it was, you know, the nicest way to do it, but because somebody probably wanted to sleep. But um, this woman came down, and I remember the same principle, that, this, that it was a distraction. The way it was done, how it was done, it was a distraction. I remember preaching in Compton, and a man standing up in the audience and telling, and, 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 and arguing my sermon, and 
in the middle of what I was preaching, and again, it was the same spirit that clothed in the, the, the garb of Christianity, someone would challenge or come against. Why? So that the, the, the appeal, the, the process of calling people to God would be watered down or it would be distracted. Ah, now, because it's obvious when it's like that. So I set that up so that you can see that it, it's obvious. Paul and Silas were, they were doing a good work. I want to read, um, I want to read what she was saying again. A certain damsel with the spirit of divination, verse 16, met us. Now, she was someone who predicted the future and made her master's money. This is, a, this is true demonic power. I'm going to quote the book, A Trip into the Supernatural again, by Roger Monod, that if you read it, that was the power he asked the demons for. When he was a demon worshiper, he asked for the power to predict the horses. And he made so much money that in, his, in the book and in the videos, he tells that he eventually got kicked out of some of the um, betting houses in, in, uh, in French Canada because he was winning so much. The demons have the ability, not so much, in my opinion, to tell you the future, but they are very wise and can analyze what is most likely to happen. And of course, the devil can predict what he can then make happen. Amen? So the devil can pick the horse to win and cause that horse to win because God isn't into horse racing. That's why I, I would never gamble on sports, because I, I don't know who, whose side the devil might really be on. I'm not picking sides. So he was able to do that. So this, this is not that she was just a lucky person or something. She truly had a spirit in her. There was a demon at work in her. And the demon saw that Paul's preaching was a threat to his, his, his uh, anti-Christian, anti-biblical uh, influence that he was having on the area. He had the people in a lock over money and over the power to divine the future. And so he did not want Paul to come in and mess that up. But the demon was wise enough to know that if the demon came out and said, these are the enemy, uh, these are our enemies, they are of God, we should destroy them, that somehow people would have probably sided with Paul. So instead, the woman says, uh, in verse 17, she followed and said, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show us the way of salvation. That's true. That's exactly what they were trying to do. Yet Paul, if you just go down a little bit more, after many days, Paul being grieved, he was patient with her. He waited. I did too, a half a sermon in Birmingham. I, I tried hard not to say anything. I tried to hint. But eventually he turned and said to the spirit, he didn't speak to the woman, he said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out the same hour. Powerful. So here she is saying the right things under the unction of the enemy. The right words are being spoken, but they don't come from a converted heart. They don't come from the Holy Spirit. The words are correct, but they are coming, literally coming from the enemy. Ah, so let me fast forward because we're talking about the high price of holiness this morning. And I want to tell you that it's the same principle, I believe, at, at, uh, uh, being used. The same uh, efforts are being exerted against the church of God in the last days. I believe that when we look at some of what we call now call contemporary Christian music and, 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 and recent gospel music, I believe that a lot of it functions under the same type of spirit. Uh, I, I, now, there's places I'd say that and probably be stoned and ran out of there. Now, that's fine, because I'm pretty quick on my feet. I can run. <laughs> but I want to submit to you that just because 
The artist claims to be Christian just because it's in the rack in the section of the record store that says contemporary Christian or gospel music or whatever the, the, the title is or Christian rap music. I want to submit to you that it does not necessarily mean that God had anything to do with its production. I say that because we must be far more discerning than to simply accept anything the devil throws at us. We must be far more discerning than to say that just because uh, someone says it from the pulpit means it's true. We must be far more discerning. We must know God's word for ourselves. And we must have tests by which we judge and look at the things that are being thrown at us. And, and I can give you examples. Last night I mentioned Larnell Harris's song, Friends in High Places. I've got friends in high places, so high but not so far away. I heard the song, I think, once, maybe twice. But I know the first time and the only real time I heard the song was at Oakwood College. And when our, our pastor of the college church, uh, E.C. Ward, heard the, the words to the song, he called the station, 11 o'clock on a whatever night it was, I think it was a Saturday night, and told them to take the record off. Why? It was a song that taught that when you die, you go to heaven, and they become angels, and you now can be mediated to through those angels. You can talk to those dead people and they will work on your behalf in heaven. Now, I will admit, Laurel Harris has very nice, some very nice Christian songs that doctrinally I would say nothing about. But just because someone says they're a Christian and makes the song doesn't make the song right. I showed them the lyrics last night even of um, We Are the World, written by Lionel Richie. And Michael Jackson. Now, I don't know who confused those two writers as Christian writers, but the song We Are the World was sung in many churches. Many churches sung it. And there's a line in the song where it says, like God has shown us by changing stone to bread, it's true we make a better day just you and me. Well, had God turned the stone into bread, Jesus being God, we would have no hope of salvation. There's nowhere that God turns stone to bread. Now, specifically, not in the story when Jesus is in the wilderness of temptation after his 40 days fast. Had that happened, we'd be in trouble. So who is speaking that? Whose words are those that literally contradict the Bible to the tens of millions of people who would, who would wind up learning and hearing that song? I submit to you that just because it, it sounds benevolent, just because it's positive just because it's it's even called christian does not qualify it as so there must be deeper rudiments deeper tests that are applied when we accept something so that we do not accept false doctrine false beliefs or even worse straight up and down heresy as biblical christian doctrine when it is coming from a source that has another motive now i can tell you that one of the ways that this is manifested is the fact that now in many of our churches, and I like to use my church as an example, Mount Rubido, because I can speak about my church, and I'm not probably going to step on anybody's toes, but my own in a way, because I was in leadership at the church, and we tried to fight to make them keep the hymns. They did away with the hymns in the church and brought in more modern styles of music. Some of the music, quite honestly, was great music, good songs, uh, very talented musicians, very talented singers. Talent was never the issue. Let me say that again. And let me say this. Talent is not a, a spiritual gift. I don't believe ta being talented is a spiritual gift. So what people say is, oh, they can sing. 
God has gifted them. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Whether or not you can sing is a function of probably more genetics and environment than anything else. And so there are many of us who can sing, or many who can sing, who would never sing for God. Did he, you know, is it a magical gift in that respect as well? Just because people are talented doesn't mean that what was given them is divine. The spirit, uh, the, 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 what God would give you actually, is more the desire to use whatever talent you have for his glory. Because what happens is we have taken the idea that someone can sing or someone can play or someone can do whatever and we've elevated them often. They, they take a higher place, a, a central role, and, and they become uh, often the soloist or the, or the, or the music director or the, or the praise leader. And, and I want to submit to you that that is a dangerous road to go down when you're dealing with feeble humans. Because I always say this when I preach, that the most dangerous place in church is the rostrum. The most dangerous place to be in church is on up here. Because here is where the devil wants to be. The devil wants to be here. So one of the things he wants to do is to make sure that anyone who will step before Israel, anyone who will step before the congregation of God, he wants to make sure he has them in his hip pocket. Because then he can influence the church in many different ways. Now, this goes from a backdrop. You see, in heaven, the devil was very much, as Lucifer, he was very much the focus of what happened. He was very much a central part of what happened. He, he could sing. We talked about Ezekiel last night. He had the pipes and tabrets in him. He was like a musical instrument. He was the cherub that covered. He, every precious stone, the scripture says, was his covering. When, when the devil would come out of the presence of God, the Shekinah glory would still probably be reflecting off of those precious jewels. And, and the angels sometimes confused his uh, reflection of God's light for God. And so there were those who would, 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 would almost as if bow or, or give Satan accolades and, and eventually it all went to his head and somehow he began to confuse the fact that he was worshiping God and, and began to believe he was God. And what happens in church when you elevate one person too much and we push people up front too much and, and, and especially when it's entertainment and singing and the moods that are set with music as we talked about last night, mediated through the thalamus, when all of this begins to happen, it's easy for people to begin to think that somehow they are special. Without me, the church can't go forward. I am this great preacher or I am this great musician. And all of a sudden, their heads begin to swell and the devil says, aha, I've got them. And what happens, the devil then begins to work in that person. Mess with that person. Move on that person. You begin to, the person goes from their humble, possible humble roots and pride and arrogance begins to swell up. How dare they do this to me? How dare they say that to me? And inside of church, rebellion, just like in heaven, begins to happen. And of course, once popularity becomes your thing, once being liked becomes your thing, you can't preach anymore. If you got to preach and be popular at the same time, you're not going to be a good preacher. The Bible, Paul tells Timothy, reprove, rebuke with all long suffering. He doesn't say do it and not love the person, but understand that you can't stand before God's people and not say what needs to be said. You do God's people a disservice if you go before them and don't do what needs to be said. As a physician, it's the same thing. If someone comes in there and they're smoking three packs of cigarettes a day, 
and they're in there with pneumonia and their COPD is flaring up, I do them a disservice if I don't at least stop them and say, listen, there are things we can do to help you quit smoking. If you're ready to quit smoking, I pray that you become ready to quit smoking. We'll help you become smoking. That, you know how many times you do that and people say, you know what, I'll never look, I don't ever want to talk to you again. I'll never see you again. I don't want a doctor that's going to tell me about my smoking or my weight or my, or my, or my drinking. But guess what? That's good care. You're obliged to do that. The same principle spiritually. When we see disease spiritually, somebody's got to have the guts to call it out. We've got to be able to stand up and say, wait a minute, this thing is getting carried away. Now you may not be popular, you may not be liked, but neither was Elijah. Neither was Samuel at times. Neither were many Jeremiah. Many of the prophets were stoned to death by Israel. The script, I don't know if the scripture records one story of a, of a prophet of God being killed by anybody but by God's people. If you're afraid of the stones of those who should be state saints, you ought not open your mouth in church. When the Bible warns us that these things ought to be done with love, long-suffering, notice that Paul let her go on and on for days. So I'm not saying we turn around and start pointing fingers and become, uh, uh, you know, the, the KGB of the Adventist church, hiding, sneaking in undercover into churches and recording their services to come back and talk about how, how, how secular their music is, how celebration their music is. I don't think we need to do it. They're not hiding what they do. All we need to do is lift up the standard in some ways. And we need to say why we believe what we believe. We need to say, thus saith the Lord. Here's what God says on the issue. Because the devil wants to be up front again. He wants to have the space he had in heaven. He wants to lead worship again. That's why right now in, our, in, our, in the African-American church, Adventists and non-Adventists alike, one of the trends, one of the huge trends is that most of the musicians and the singers are homosexuals. Most of them are homosexuals. Many of them open homosexuals. Matter of fact, we had a concert at Rubido before we even, we're moving into our new church, before we even dedicated it, we had a concert. And the, and the guy who they brought in to sing, a, secular, a, a, a gospel singer, not, not Adam, but a gospel singer, is supposed to be a known homosexual. As a matter of fact, the hired bass player, the guy we pay to play bass at our church, who is not Adventist, came to me after church and said, last Sabbath and said, why in the world would you guys have that guy in your church? He propositioned one of my nephew's friends, who was a guy. We can make that clear. Why would we do that? Because somehow we have come under the idea that numbers are the test of spiritual success. We've come under the idea that the more people come to a church, the more successful it is. We have not read the scriptures because the scriptures really say the opposite. The scriptures say that after Israel left Egypt and were in the wilderness and were only 11 days from the promised land and spies were sent out, 12, only two came back with a report that they could take the land. It, Moses was so upset that the people wanted to go back to Egypt. God said it's okay and God caused them to march around in the wilderness for 40 years and so that all of that generation of slaves would die off. And only two people of the original Marched into the promised land. Two, two named adults marched into the promised land. God's not concerned with numbers. He could have had millions march in if he wanted to right away. The Bible says that the road that leads to destruction is wide. 
Many are on the road that leads to destruction, but the road that leads to eternal life is narrow. It's straight. And the Bible says there are only a few that are on that road. God's not worried about numbers. He's not worried about how many people have been brought in and how full the church is or how high the tithe numbers are. He's not concerned. God is more concerned with the quality of the saint than the quantity of ain'ts. Not worried about how many people we can say we have showing up. He's far more concerned with who shows up for him, not on Sabbath, but who's showing up for God on Monday and Tuesday at their job, who's showing up for him in their neighborhoods, who's showing up for them in everyday life, who's showing up for God. I'm telling you, it's easy. That's the, the term they use now, there's a book um, that was written, I read um, by one of the uh, theologians down in Texas, again, a non-Adventist who wrote the book, This Little Church Went to Market. If you've not read that book, you need to read that book. It's a powerful book, not by Adventists. Almost sounds like it is when you read it. And this guy breaks down all of this seeker-friendly stuff that we have in churches now. All of a sudden, they poll the neighborhoods of churches and ask them, what is your favorite type of secular music? That people send back in their, their requests, and then the church changes their music so that when the people come, they can play good secular music to try and woo the crowd. So that people leave, man, church sure was, oh, what a good time that was today. One of my friends who goes to the Saddleback Church, or we used to go to Saddleback Church there in Orange County, said that one Sunday after church, they played a, a car wash, the old funk song. that was The movie was named after car wash, working at the car wash as the closing hymn. Just because it's packaged in Christianity, just because they call themselves Christian, the whole entire dark ages, the entire fall from apostolic beliefs all came packaged in Christianity. Constantine did a great job and those who worked with him in taking Christianity and paganism and blending them together. And I tell you that that is happening again today. When you hear about people calling themselves gospel gangsters, holy hip hop and the gospel gangsters, I mean, you're either gospel or you're gangster. You, you, you're really not both. You know, they're on stage with their pants sagging, holding their crotch, you know, just like the secular rap artists. And we want to bring that into our churches. We want to lift this up in front of our youth, but our youth aren't stupid. Youth are very wise. And the youth know, well, if I'm going to listen to this, I might as well just listen to the real stuff. Why would I listen to a, a fake version of when I could have the real thing? That's the problem with trying to take the church and water it down and, and secularize it so that people will like it. The problem becomes you eventually become a poor imitation of the real worldly thing. So I submit to you that as, as you see it happening all around you, but like Paul did, you stop sometimes. And you deal not necessarily with the people, many of them know no better, but in prayer, we deal with the spirit behind it. We see that on this campus there are spirits that are not of God. There's no reason to go challenging people. We ought to come together as a group and call on the name of the Lord. I submit to you that the demons are worried when the people of God begin to pray. When we start to call for revival, 
When we begin to invite the Spirit of God into this place, like Paul was able to just stop on a dime and turn and say, foul spirit, come out of her. And it came out that moment, I submit to you that if we were to take time and pray for those that are we are often so critical of, if we prayed for them, that they would get the spiritual discernment that many of them have, that they would be less concerned with being popular, less concerned with being liked, and more concerned with being holy. Holiness comes at a high price. People aren't going to like you when you stand for God. You're going to be ridiculed. I was teased all my life growing up Seventh-day Adventist. They call us black Jews because we were the only ones that on Saturday weren't out playing. They had no other way to rationalize what they would call us. We were ridiculed. We didn't know anything. We didn't go to the movies. They, they talk about Star Wars and all this stuff. I, my mother would never allow us to into a movie theater. So I just make up stuff. <laughs> R2-D2 and c 3 I had no idea who they were, what they did, except for commercials. But I learned that you don't follow the crowd. Growing up like that taught me that if you follow the crowd, it leads to destruction. And to this day, I do not follow crowds. I don't care how big the crowd, keep your crowd. What I want to know is that I am in the house of the living God. I want to know that when we come together, that we come together with the right spirit to worship God. That new people who have never heard the name of Jesus, when they come in, they feel not the spirit of entertainment, not the spirit of, uh, 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 of secularism, but they come into the house of God and feel the spirit and presence of God that changes them. The Bible says it is the love of Christ that constraineth us. Not the music. You never hear Jesus stop the disciples and say, hold on, Peter, hit a beat and, and James, well, hit a drum line. Let's set the mood. We, we, we're going to preach now. As a matter of fact, when this story ends and Paul is upside down in that prison and they begin to sing hymns, the spirit of God falls on them. There's no band, no nothing. There's no, no director, no, no fancy speaker systems, nothing. But when they praise God out of a clean heart, even in persecution, the jails of this world are shaken to their foundation. I submit to you that that's what we've got to do. Although we might feel like we're in, ch in chains, you might feel you're enchained in sin, you might feel you're imprisoned in difficulty, you, school might be knocking you upside of your head, I challenge you that you let your praise and your worship go up even greater when the trials of this world are coming down on you all the more. They, that's one of the things that they did. They changed song service into praise and worship. And what that did was by default made you think that in order to praise or worship God, you had to be together and it had to be a band. Praise and worship happens with how you deal with people on the highway. Praise and worship happens with how you greet people on your job, how you interact with people in your real life. You praise God, you worship him by being his conduit on earth. You don't need a band. What you need is a relationship with him and a humble spirit where God can use you as his hand on earth. Because this world still does need Jesus. There's plenty of good music in this world. But what God wants us to be in these last days is his hand, his feet, his words, his love manifested so that people can see the love of God in us. Amen.